Today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, we'll take a look at a marvelous prayer recorded for us in Colossians chapter 1 that you might know the will of God. There's so many people that believe that God took his will for their life and hid it somewhere under a rock. <laughs> so now we're going to play this game of hide and seek for the next 25 years. You're going to go out and you're going to look for my will and right about the time you get close, I'm going to move it. <laughs> and that's their perception of the will of God. He says here that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul did not want the church to guess at what God's will for their lives was. He didn't want them to scratch their heads and go, gee, what does God want me to do? You don't have to meander through life hoping your life is counting for something. You can know that it is. The will of God is not meant to be a secret that we're to uncover or find. God wants us to understand his will far more than we want to understand it. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Over the course of our next couple of programs, we'll spend some time in Colossians chapter 1, a prayer for the New Year's. It's a series that should encourage you to understand that God's will for your life is plain and simple, laid out if you will but seek after the Lord. Not an Easter egg hunt, but rather something God desires each and every one of us to be a part of His will. So please join us for an encouraging look at God's Word and His will for your lives, the perception, and then of course we'll take a look at the Word of God where His will is to be found. With this edition of Graceful Truth Now, again from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, here's Pastor Steve Converse. As I was looking through the different prayers in the Bible, I this one in Colossians chapter 1, you can turn over to Colossians chapter 1, in the New Testament there, a letter of Paul, or to the uh, church at Colossae. They were trying to impose certain rules, uh, legalism about eating and drinking and religious festivals, all these things. And, and Paul has to write them a letter and say, wait a minute, it's not about all that. It's about having sufficiency and su- the superiority of Christ. He opens this little book in Colossians chapter 1 with a a prayer. I thought it would be a a good prayer for the new year for us as a body. Follow along as I read the first uh, 11 verses of Colossians chapter 1. You can follow along in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it is also, uh, also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, verse 9, from the day we heard it, 
we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Bible says in, also in Psalms 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's some amazing prayers in Scripture, and this is one of them, I think. Um, This is, as I said, a prayer by Paul, the apostle, for the church at Colossae. Sometimes we forget to pray for the church as the body of Christ. We pray for unsaved loved ones and relatives and all that, and we pray for the people in different countries to hear the word and be converted. But sometimes I think we forget to pray for the church of Christ, our own church even. We forget to pray when we have events on the calendar. This year we'll be having various different ones, hopefully. And I pray that as you notice them on the calendar, that you prepare to come and that you prepare your heart to gather together with the saints of Christ to worship Him and hear the truth taught, whether it's a man that recites Scripture from memory or a man who teaches a seminar on discerning some of the erroneous teachers in the Word of Faith movement, whatever that might be, I pray that you pray for those opportunities when you see them coming up. I hope you pray each Sunday before our church service. I hope you're in a state of prayer asking that God would work that God would use his word somehow in this small little fellowship to penetrate the hearts of those of us gathered here. I also hope that you pray for the outreach through the radio ministry that we have each Sunday at 3.30 on KFAX. It's amazing to me to think that the word of God is going out across the Bay Area 50,000 watts of power. And they're hearing... Not just the teaching from this pulpit, but teaching from pulpits all over the Bay Area and really the world. And we need to pray that God would use that truth to penetrate hearts. Use that ministry. Pray for our missionaries. There's a lot of different ways that we can pray. But as I came to this prayer, I think this is a good prayer for us for the new year. Uh, May God grant us the request of our hearts as we delight ourselves in him. That's what he promises to do. And Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae was prayed for, first of all, you can follow along in your outline there, for perception. For perception. He starts off with thanksgiving in verse 3, and he goes through several verses there leading up to really his request He's praising God that that God worked in their hearts, that we have a hope laid up in heaven. They've heard and and, uh, obeyed the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is, what's those next words, bearing fruit and growing. 
bearing fruit and growing. You know, when New Year's runs around, everybody, you know, I saw a bunch of people out running this morning. They had their sweats on. It looks like they're brand new. You know, they went out and bought brand new sneakers and brand new sweats and everything, just driving over to church early this morning. I saw all these people out running, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I wonder how long that's going to last. I mean, hey, that's great. I mean, we should all be running. We should all be exercising, doing what we need to be doing. But so many times this time of the year, you know, we make these empty promises, resolutions they're called. And when I read this this morning, I thought, you know, sometimes when it comes to our own faith, can we honestly look at our own life and say, is the gospel bearing fruit, as it says there in verse 6 in our own life, and is it growing? It says, as it does among you, since the days you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Ask yourself this question. Are you the same person you were a year ago, spiritually? You can throw in other ways, emotionally, and all those other ones. But the main point this morning is, are you the same person you were a year ago, spiritually? Or have you borne fruit? Have you grown? Have you seen God work in your life? Are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to allow God to do in our lives. And he says there in verse 7 that they learned this from Epaphras, who was a fellow servant. And that indicates to me that our lives are a mirror, are a picture for other people to look at. And if the life is staying the same, the claims of Christ and all the promises of salvation and the mighty work of God in your life, if you're just the same person you were, people probably scratch their head and say, well, why would I want that? You don't change. You're the same person you were five years ago. Yeah, you go to church every week, big deal. I don't see any life in you. And it says that he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know, the one thing I pray for this new year that would mark our church is a love for each other in the Spirit of Christ. Not that that doesn't already exist to some extent, but I pray that that would grow. I pray that that would increase. I pray that when people gather here, they would look into the lives of the people here and say, wow, these people really love not only God, but they love each other. In verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he asks, first of all, for perception. He says that you may be filled, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I mean, think about that prayer. I mean, if you believe in a God and you believe that God is almighty and you believe that God is sovereign, you believe God is all-knowing, Paul here is praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of that God's will. I mean, that's an amazing prayer. Paul prayed for the church that they would be able to understand and perceive, first of all, the will of God. Have you ever scratched your head and said, you know, as a Christian, what's God's will for my life? There's so many people that believe that God took his will for their life and hid it somewhere under a rock. (laughs) Said, now we're going to play this game, hide and seek, for the next 25 years. You're going to go out and you're going to look for my will, and right about the time you get close, I'm going to move it. (laughs) And that's their perception of the will of God. He says here that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. I mean, how are you going to understand God's will if you don't understand, or how are you going to do God's will if you do not understand what God's will is? For you to do. And this is a a very 
common interest among Christians. What's God's will? What's God's will? There's books written about this. That phrase there, when he says filled with the knowledge, that means to have full knowledge. Paul did not want the church to guess at what God's will for their lives was. He didn't want them to scratch their heads and go, gee, what does God want me to do? And I don't want you to live your Christian life thinking, gee, I guess it's just a kind of a a random thing, spin the wheel and see what God has for me today. No. You don't have to meander through life hoping your life is counting for something. You can know that it is. The will of God is not meant to be a secret that we're to uncover or find. God wants us to understand his will far more than we want to understand it. And he always makes his will clear to those who are seeking him with an obedient heart. He always does that. Most of the real problem areas in the question of the will of God are really settled for us already here in Scripture. Psalm 143, verse 10, David prayed this prayer. And this should be the prayer of every devout Christian. David prayed, Lord, teach me to do what? Your will. Teach me to do your will. That's what we should be concerned about in 2012. As an individual, as a family, as a church, are we doing the will of God? Well, how do you know what God wants you to do? That's the question, right? That's the basic bottom line question. Because as a Christian, you definitely want to affirm the lordship of Christ. You understand that he is in control and you're not. You want to obey him. But to obey him, you you should know what he wants you to do. Even the Lord Jesus Christ emulated that. He gave us that example, right? Remember when he was in the garden and he was praying and what did he say? He said, not my will, but what? Yours be done. Because from a human standpoint, he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to suffer anymore. I mean, his humanity was screaming for everything to stop. But he subjected himself to the will of God. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. You see that as Paul prays. You see it as we've been going through the gospel of Matthew. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Then what's it say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that should be a concern that we all share as believers. Well, the Bible reveals to us, and this isn't in your notes, but you can jot these down. I'll have, they'll be up there on the screen. They should be. The Bible reveals what is God's will for us. Very basic. Very basic. The first one is, is that you be saved. That you be saved. And we're not going to go through these in detail, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, what? All men and women and children to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You don't have to pray about that one. If you want to know what God's will for you is, clearly it's for you to be saved, for you to be born again. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The first thing God wants for you concerning his will is that you're saved, that you know him in a personal way, that your sins have been forgiven, that you've abandoned yourself to a holy God and allowed him to take control of your life. It's an easy thing to say, but it's not an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you here this morning, you can't do that. 
You can't just stand there and go, okay, I'm going to declare myself saved. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You've got to go before God and you've got to cry out to him for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And the reason you would cry out to him is because he's the Savior and you need one. See, if you're not there yet, then you don't need a Savior. If you don't understand the wretchedness of your own sin, the Bible says nobody's perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. Right from, you know, the people in the gutter right up to the highest echelon of religion in our world, the Pope. They've all sinned. Everybody has sinned. And we all need a Savior. Secondly, the Bible tells us that not only do we need to be saved from our sin through Christ, but we need to be Spirit-filled. We need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled. Ephesians chapter 5 You see that there in verses 17 and 18. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. The Bible clearly says right here, don't get drunk with wine or anything else, for that matter. In other words, don't yield control of your body over to something that's an outside influence. Don't do that. But be filled, be controlled with the Spirit of God. And that's what that word means, filled. It means to be controlled. It means to be totally dominated by. I mean, that's what happens when you drink alcohol, right? I mean, if you drink enough of it. But it says don't be controlled by that. Don't be controlled by outside influences. Be controlled by the Spirit of God as Christians. Not only saved, but Spirit-filled. Thirdly, it says... This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. What's that mean? Your holiness. Sanctified being sanctified means to be holy. Does that mean you walk around in religious robes and wear a big cross around your neck and carry a big, heavy Bible around? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in your life, in your living as a Christian, You don't have to pray about, well, should I get mixed up in this worldly stuff or not? I wonder. No. The Bible says that we're a peculiar people, that we're sojourners here on this earth. This world is not our home. Amen? We're just passing through. So don't get too comfy with the worldly comforts. Be sanctified. Be set apart. Why? Because it says this is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Your sanctification. That's not an option for a Christian. So many times I see Christians who, you know, they, they walk the line. They're, they're, they're between the world and the church, and boy, depending on what day of the week it is, depending on where you'll find them. That's not the life that Christ has called us to live. He's called us to live a life that is sanctified. That means set apart. That means it's different. Does that mean that some people will look at you and say, wow, you're weird? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> That's exactly what it means. You're peculiar, the Bible says. You're a people that God has called to his own self through his own son. And that's how we're to live. We're not to straddle the fence. We're not to compromise. Because we're also to go out to a lost and dying world and give them the gospel. And so you don't isolate yourself. I'm not talking about isolation. I'm not talking about becoming a monk up on top of a mountain and nobody else around and just you and your little Bible and that's all you do is pray all day. Well, that's not what God has called you to do either. Because he said that we're to be the what? The light and the salt of this earth. How are you going to do that? If I keep the salt in the cupboard and I don't 
you know, mix it with the food that I'm making, it's not going to have any impact. Fourthly, not only saved, spirit-filled, and sanctified, but look at this, that we are to submit ourselves to God. What a concept. James chapter 4, verse 7. That word submission is not a, it's not a good word in our society today. People don't like that word, submit. But it tells us right there, God's will for you is to submit yourself to God. What does that mean? That means that you don't make up your own game plan. <laughs> you just don't do that. If God says, you know what, here's, here's how I want you to do this, whatever it might be. So many times we look at that and go, eh, you know what, I'm going to tweak that a little bit and just kind of <laughs> come over here and do my own thing. And then we end up in a world of hurt and God says, told you, that's not my plan for you. You need to submit yourself to God. And then it says in Ephesians 5.17, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be subject to one another. Look at that. In the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5.17. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What's that mean? That means everybody's not running around. No, I want my way. No, it's my way. My way is better. What's that? That leads to humility, right? We're to be subjective to one another in love for the fear of Christ. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. 1 Peter 2, 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, for such is the will of God. Well, I don't agree with what you don't have to agree with them. But we're called to submit to those in authority over us. And this other one here is suffering. Suffering. Not only saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submission, but suffering. <laughs> That wasn't in your game plan, probably, when you walked down the aisle or raised your hand to Christ or came to Christ, whatever fashion you did. I don't think they grabbed you and said, are you ready to suffer for Jesus now? <laughs> we don't hear much about this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, look at this. It says this, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. See, suffering is something that just is simply there in the Christian life. Just because you get saved and you're saved from your sin and you're part of the church and, oh, you're committed and you're involved in all this stuff, that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. Where do we get this thinking? It comes from a lot of the health and wealth teachers is where we get it. They're coming from a total opposite view of Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus said that, hey, you know what? You think I suffered? Wait till they get a hold of you guys. That's what he said. You're going to suffer in your Christian life. And that brings us to the last thing here is saying thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says in everything, in everything, right? Not just when you get the promotion. Not just when, you know, things are working out with the family. Not just when you go to the doctor and he gives you that great test result that you've been looking for. No, it says in everything give thanks. What's that mean? That means when things aren't going so well in your family. When maybe the marriage turned a little rocky. Maybe the kids are acting up a little bit. Maybe the body's not cooperating. It says in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not the thing that's happening to you, but the giving thanks. Because you have to understand, as a Christian, nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. Isn't that a wonderful truth? 
So saying thanks, Colossians 3.15 says, be thankful. Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will today. Tell him, that you know, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, surrender your time, your talents, your treasure to him today. Don't hold anything back in 2012. And you watch in 2013, I'll ask you the same question. Are you the same person? And you will answer wholeheartedly no. Because I lived totally for God in 2012. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.